Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B-Ball Index Podcast. I am your host, Cranjus McBasketball. You can call me Tim, and this podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, betonline.ag, and through our Blue Wire podcasting network. We talked a couple days ago about optimization in three, or I guess you can say four different ways. Uh, Those were playing your better players more, playing your better lineups more, putting players in roles that match their skills and then looking at our optimization ratings that cover a bit of those first ones and then also should capture the impact of scheme to some extent. Today, we will be setting the stage to then dive deeper into the lineups piece of that and using some excellent work Todd Whitehead did at Nylon Calculus as our guide. I'm not going to read the article, but I'm going to almost walk through some of the major points that Todd made and then add some context um, For this article, Todd used our talent data from 2013 to 2019, and he also combined that with some lineup data to do a lot of math, and and, uh, the title of the article was Optimizing NBA Lineup Fit. It was posted about three weeks ago. I would highly, highly recommend you go read that. I did not want to just, you know, go buy it, say, hey, this is your homework, and then Cover, you know, dive deeper into some of these things with nuance uh, without really introducing them. So today's going to be more introducing some of that incredible research that Todd conducted. And so it's not just about playing better lineups more. I want to, I want to make sure I set the stage here correctly. That should be easy or that should be intuitive. So to say, we, if you have better lineups, play more, that's common sense. This is about which combinations of types of players have yielded most success. And through our talent grades at B-Ball Index, we're able to account for talent with that assessment. So it becomes with X or Y groupings of players, how much more effective does a lineup become on offense, defense, or overall than the expected performance for that group with their talent ratings as they are. It's, it's cool stuff that really hasn't been done yet in the public sphere, and, and I'm not sure what teams have done behind the scenes, but this is excellent stuff from Todd, and I think it has a lot of great uh, purpose and usability for fans, for bloggers, writers, analysts, uh, college teams, everybody. Are we putting players in the best positions to succeed, not just with their role but or, or with the, the X's and O's, but putting them next to players who they tend to play better with. Like I've spoken to agents who say, my client really likes playing with this other player. They feel they have great chemistry uh, and they think they play better together. And we we see that in the data and it aligns a lot with this sort of analysis where it's, oh wow, those types of players fit really well together. Whereas that player with another teammate based off of their types of roles, we would expect to not be as synergistic. So it's stuff that plays out on the court And that's really what this is looking at. This is looking at what's actually happening. We're looking at raw lineup data. We're looking at offensive rating, defensive rating, net rating. Uh, We did not use, or I should should say Todd did not use uh, luck-adjusted lineup data for this, but he did use uh, 70,000 lineups 
and let me get this number right. I believe it was 1.4 million possessions over six years to, to come to these conclusions. So we don't have uh, a small sample size issue to worry about. His intro to the piece sums up a lot of the questions. We can now answer pretty well through the work he did. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna read these couple sentences because it gives you an idea of what we're trying to figure out here. So Todd says, what would be a more valuable move for our team? Adding another stretch big or finding a vertical spacer? What would we be what should we be targeting in free agency this summer? More dynamic playmaking or better shooting? Can we really survive for 40 minutes a night without a rim protector on the floor? Something the Rockets are looking at. These are the kinds of questions that teams are asking themselves when making trades, acquisitions, and draft picks. And in one way or another, these are all questions of lineup fit. I think that's a great intro to the piece. It sets the stage. It lets you know what we're going to be looking at, why it's important, and how important it is to teams and in which particular ways, and even gives some hey, is A or B the better option? So starting there, again, go read the piece. I'm not going to read the piece for you, but I am going to introduce some of the major concepts so that moving forward, we can build off of those with, with further discussion and looking at data for this most recent season. The first thing that Todd did was look at correlations between summed up uh, talent areas for the five players in a lineup. And so the correlation of that with their offensive and defensive rating. So this is saying, the playmaking percentiles for these five players, you know, mash them together and do that for every lineup and then correlate those with uh, the offensive and defensive ratings of lineups. On offense, the areas that were found to be most, most impactful were three-point shooting, which had a 0.36 correlation, uh, off-ball movement second. Uh, this, so this sticks out to me, perhaps has been an underrated stat thus far. I know that it's something that I've found very important in it. Uh, can be more or less impactful depending on the type of role that you're in from the machine learning uh, random force model that we ran before. But it appears as though movement and the ability to do damage and use your gravity off ball at the, both the three-point line and the rim can open up, open up a lot for others. Then we have roll gravity at a 0.2 correlation, one-on-one, -on -one, and finishing each at 0.15, post play at a 0.13 correlation, playmaking at a 0.11, offensive rebounding at a 0.07. So a couple things. One, these correlation values are fairly low compared to what you might want to look at when you're running some sort of statistical analysis. I think that makes sense. There isn't one good solution to basketball, and the analysis of the skills for players gets a lot more nuanced than just adding it up as the team, uh, adding it up for the whole lineup and just you know seeing how it looks. Because the distribution of those skills is very important. You can have poor to below average playmakers for three to five players on your on your lineup but if the other two star uh, other two are stars at playmaking and those are the two players in roles that demand playmaking your playmaking for that lineups can still be very high even though if you just mash them all together it's it's not quite as high as other lineups where everybody's about average so the distribution of skills can be really important but just as very high level in general what tends to matter across all players all lineups and Spacing is key. Spacing, spacing is king. And that movement note, I, I really think is important. Roll gravity, another one where if you can attack the rim well and be successful, but also have that high gravity and demand attention and open up perimeter shooting, that does a lot for you. One-on-one -on -one play. Another one where if you're strong there, you're going to be opening up 
opportunities for others. So I think these first four all kind of work well together. Um, and if you're able, I guess just in general, all of these do. I mean, finishing, if you can get to the rim while you're opening up things for others. Post-play, if you're demanding double teams in the push, you're open, opening up things for others. So maybe I shouldn't go too uh, deep down that narrative, but it appears as though spacing is key and movement, off-ball movement and roll gravity are also things that are very important. If you look at the defensive side of things, uh, and again, we're looking here, you, you want negative correlations between defensive rating and the talent grade. So for interior defense, they had a, point, a negative 0.23. Uh, defensive rebounding, a negative 0.13. Perimeter defense, negative 0.1. And again, I think here, more so than offense, uh, maybe, maybe I, don't know, I shouldn't say more so, but it, with both of these, again, it's not about a lot of times it won't be about like, oh man, I need to make sure my, you know, fours and fives have great perimeter defense or my ones and twos have great rebounding or interior defense. Those are still important, but the frequency at which those skill sets are called upon for those positions is, it varies among team to team based on their schemes and how good you are at these can open up using different schemes, but uh, skills in, in positions, ha- positions I should say have uh, primary skills that they call upon on defense. And so at the team level, again, it makes sense that the correlations wouldn't be super high. But interior defense, defending that rim appears to matter most. So that's, you know, a, a basic look. And then he builds off of that. And Todd next looked at how skills are often packaged together by looking at which grades are correlated which with which other grades. And he even set up a really nice table, a nice graphic that I can't communicate to you audibly quite as well. But Again, take a look at the article. He set it up where on one side you've got kind of like the the skill inside, and then, or I'm sorry, the uh, big guy talent, and then on the other side the like outside little guy talent. Um, I'm not going to read all of these off, but some of the more interesting combos I saw were that perimeter shooting and one-on-one play had a moderately strong positive correlation, uh, while something like perimeter shooting and offensive rebounding did not. And that makes sense because your perimeter shooters are usually your guards, your offensive rebounding talented players are generally larger. The big man type skills like post play, roll gravity and finishing, and even interior defense were all generally clustered together. They had higher general correlations with each other. Uh, Another interesting one is off ball movement and finishing had a relatively high correlation, um, higher than, than most of the others on here. On a previous pod, we talked about the types and tiers of off-screen scores, and finishing ability was a critical piece of that. So that's something that sticks out to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we talked about that. So that's that's another neat thing to look at. Then going back to one of the questions in the intro about playing without rim protection, Todd looks at how the balance of bigs and guards can impact offensive and defensive ratings. So what he found was that lineups with more bigs were better defensively lineups with more guards were better on offense. And again, looking at what generally comes with those types of players, you're going to defend the rim better with those big men. You're going to rebound better with them. Whereas when you have more guards, you're probably going to shoot better. You're going to have better playmaking. Um, there are obviously exceptions to these rules. Um, I shouldn't even say rules, but there are obviously exceptions to these generalities. They for sure there are, but over those 1.4 million possessions in those 70,000 lineups, those are the stereotypes that you get with the guards and the bigs. And that's why you see uh, more guards, better offense, more bigs, better defense. 
One thing I do want to call out is the difference between zero and one bigs on defense seemed to have no real impact. The the defensive rating was exactly the same, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So if you're like, oh man, we got to keep this one big guy out there uh, versus not having a big guy out there, and and we're not yet getting into how good he is. We'll talk about that in a, talk about that in a minute, but uh, the difference there wasn't huge. So if it's going to benefit your offense even more to have that extra guard out there, that extra wing, maybe you don't need that big man. Uh, it was when you saw when you had two or three plus big men that you saw the much larger improvements. And then on offense, having zero guards was the worst. Having three or more guards was the best. But then having one or two guards, uh, there wasn't a real big difference there. So another one where like you could go either way. And this, if, if you're on the fence, th- this data might say, like, hey, don't worry too much about it. And then the next step from there is not just looking at the types of players you need to be successful, but how many good players are needed of those types to see that impact. So Todd went with a, bi- uh, a binary approach. Either you are good or you are considered not good. To be considered good, you had to have a talent grade at or above a B. So a C plus would not be good. A B minus uh, would not be good. A B would be good. B plus would be good. A minus and A would be good. From this, we can again see that good defenders help more. You want more good defenders out there. But the more good bigs mixed into those lineups raise the team's defensive defense another notch as well. So if you had four good defenders uh, and two of them were bigs versus zero of them were bigs, the one that had more big men tend to perform higher. And Todd made another great observation that gets even a little bit more nuanced. And this is the only other piece of this that I'm going to actually read. Uh, Todd Todd writes, it is sometimes said that a defense is only as strong as its weakest link. But this data actually suggests otherwise. Lineups with no good big defenders and three or more good perimeter defenders were no better on defense than lineups with exactly one good big defender. In other words, one good rim protector can make up for a defensive weak link, or maybe even two. Moreover, lineups with three or more good defenders broke even, uh, meaning that they they posted non-negative net ratings, just as long as one of those good defenders was big. That's a pretty useful rule of thumb to remember. Effective lineups tend to have at least three good defenders, one of whom is big. That's that that last piece there is really key. Effective lineups tend to have at least three good defenders, one of whom is big. So I think that's a great analysis from Todd. And again, I would recommend that you look through this and see, oh, if we have four good defenders and two of them are big, how does that compare with three good defenders with three of them are bigger? You know, there, there are tons of different uh, iterations that you can look at. But it stands out to me how intuitive this is, how like there aren't any funky data points. We don't have to worry about small sample size impacting this. And literally in every single scenario, it's, it's very intuitive. The, the more bigs, the better you get on defense specifically. And, and on offense, I would expect it to be similar in, in the offensive uh, lineups having guards out there. So that was really neat. Um, you can even see the possession total uh, out there for, you know, only in, in those six years, only 699 possessions had five good defenders on the court while zero of them were bigs. So that is an area that hasn't been used a whole lot. Whereas we've had 
uh, when three good defenders are out there and one of them is a big, we've had almost 250,000 possessions. So that's really cool. Uh, That's really neat to see. And Todd even included the net ratings as well. Uh, So you can see not just the defensive ratings, but on top of that, what would it take to get a positive net rating overall? So that's, that's some interesting stuff. Um, and I am going to move on to the next point. Uh, I, I can just dig into these all day, but I, again, go read the, the article. Um, and I don't want to add all that context right now, cause we're going to talk more about these different things in future podcasts where we apply some of those real life examples and say, all right, well, for the Magic, they've got this player and this player, and this is what it looks like. Or for the Celtics, they have these lineups, and this is why they're probably more successful than, than not. And we can go back to some of those questions that Todd asked at the beginning of his article in the intro about not having rim protection. We can look at the Rockets. Uh, we can look at, hey, is it better to have that playmaking or spacing? And, and look at some specific lineups where that's kind of the the key difference where four of the five guys are the same on two lineups on a team, but that, that fifth guy, how are they performing above or below expectation based off of this synergy in those skill sets? So this article has a lot of awesome stuff and that continued with Todd doing his K cluster grouping analysis of players by skill sets, the same way that he has done the offensive roles that we've utilized. Um, the, the, the other roles we've talked about in the past uh, you know, your primary creator, mega creator, versatile bigs, all of those different things, your glue guys, off ball, or your movement wings, those things like that. Todd was the one who set up the clustering for those positions as well. Up until this point, all of those player roles that we've spoken about on this podcast every single time have been based on usage. How much posting up are you doing versus how much isolating are you doing versus how much pick and roll are you doing? But now we have those older offensive roles and we also have these new I'll call them offensive skill groups. Uh, And those new groups are, let me pull up the graphic here. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. There are 12 of those groups. There were 11 uh, offensive roles. So the 12 groups, these again are based off of skill sets. We have shooting specialists. These are, these are guys who, uh, actually I'll I'll start kind of from the bottom. So we have G League call-ups. These are the players who did not perform well almost across the board in, in our talent grades. These are guys who usually aren't really NBA caliber. They're as fringe as you can get, getting called up from the G League, usually out there to fill some roster holes on a tanking team or a very injured team. Um, then we get into a couple different roles that maybe have one maybe two for these, it's really one, uh, NBA skill. And then, you know, C's and D's or F's across the board elsewhere. So we have shooting specialists who tend to have a three point shooting, a perimeter shooting grades, and then, you know, F off ball movement D's and one-on-one playmaking role, gravity, rebounding, uh, interior defense, and then a C for perimeter defense. We've got rebounding specialists who are D's across the board. Other than their roll gravity is a C, their total reboundings usually a B. Defensive pests, Ds and Fs across the board, but stronger perimeter defense. We've got rim protecting specialists, Ds and Fs across the board, but you've got C, uh, higher high roll gravity and then higher interior defense. Those are some of our, 
lower tiered skill positions, skill groupings. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what wording I want to use there. Um, but then we get into some of the more talented uh, groups. So we've got our three and D wings, stronger three point shooting, stronger, uh, you know, interior defense, perimeter defense, rebounding, roll gravity, even. These are your PJ Tuckers, your Danny Greens, your Robert Covingtons, your Thabo Cephalosha's. They're doing those things. They're, they're th- threes, perimeter shooting and defense. And it's not just perimeter defense. Um, it's, it's defense overall, I should say. And I think that's a, a critical thing to point out. If, if people are looking just at our grades and saying, hey, this team should sign this player. They have a great perimeter shooting and they have great perimeter defense. But you're not looking at their interior defense or their defensive rebounding. I'd say that you're missing quite a bit because perimeter defense for a wing is still most important. It has a, I believe a plurality of the impact of those different areas, but being able to rebound and being able to defend the interior are also quite important for wings. So you're not going to be an effective three and D caliber wing in this season when you only have good perimeter defense, but you're getting F's in your rebounding and your interior D. So getting back to, to what we were talking about, then we have stretch fours, generally bigger guys who uh, have stronger three-point shooting. Your Ryan Anderson's, Tobias Harris fit into here, Marvin Williams, Jay Crowder. Uh, your, let's see, what else do we have? Pass first playmakers. So these are generally guards who have perimeter defense of, higher usually that of a guard um weak offensively weak rebounding weak interior defense weak roll gravity but their playmaking on average is an a um so these are your rajon rondos your alfred paytons your raymond feltons your ricky rubios uh i think that I mean, this year with the Lakers, Rajon Rondo is this kind of guy. He's not going to score. He'll have a game here or there where he'll, he'll get some some points up. But he's looking to pass. He's a pass-first playmaker. Um, then we have our perimeter scores, who stronger three-point shooting, off-ball movement, one-on-one play playmaking, weaker rebounding and defense. Uh, these are your, let's say, like a Lou Williams, a Kemba Walker. I think those are some good examples. Um, who haven't we talked about? We've got our play, uh, let's say, our rolling rim protectors. These are your Rudy Gobert, your DeAndre Jordan, Steven Adams, Clint Capella. They're very strong with their roll gravity, very strong rebounding and interior defense, weak elsewhere. They've got three really, really strong skills and then we are weak elsewhere. So that, uh, depending on how you use them, can be very important. If you've got them as a versatile big, probably not great. If you've got them as a Rolling and cut big, much, much better. Um, and, and I think it'll be interesting mapping out the skill roles compared to the usage roles and seeing how successful players are uh, based off of those different things. Let's see, what else do we have? We have our perimeters. No, we did that. We have our pass first playmakers. Um, we did that. We playmaking room protectors. Here we go. These are your DeMarcus Cousins, Giannis, Blake Griffin, uh, Anthony Davis, playmaking rim protectors. These are your, your big men who have good roll gravity, good rebounding, good interior defense, uh, but are also strong with their playmaking, strong with their one-on-one play, even strong with their off-ball movement. They're not shooters. They're not great perimeter defense, 
to defenders usually. We're not going to say I'm not going to say Anthony Davis and Giannis aren't, um, especially for the positions they are. But in general, this is how the cluster looked. Uh, and then we also have I think I've covered just about everyone other than the all around studs. These are your your you know across the board they're doing pretty well, especially with their one on one play and playmaking. J- uh, LeBron James, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. So I think. I don't think I missed anybody. Did I miss anybody? I don't think so. Uh, rim, uh, rim protecting specialists. I think we talked about that. Yeah. So those are the 12 different types. Um, and I'm going to start using those a lot more moving forward. I think this opens up a whole new avenue for content. Again, big thanks for, to Todd. He is the, the clustering god. Um, and he's done an excellent job with this. And I think it'll open up a lot, and I really am excited to look at how players are performing and how well they're optimized in those usage usage roles, offensive roles, based off of these skill groupings. So Todd introduces those, and then uh, in looking then at how adding any of those players into a lineup would enhance the lineup's ratings above what a G League call-up would give you, we see a hierarchy emerge. So so Todd used an additive uh, model where he said, okay, if you have a lineup with a G League call-up and, and everybody else the same, here's how it performed. And then if you introduce a, I don't know, a uh, rolling rim protector or a 3 and D wing or an all-around stud, how much of a difference did it generally make? And we see for offense, the positions that introducing them into any given lineup tended to do the best were the all-around studs, which makes a lot of sense. They were in their own tier. And then stretch fours, playmaking rim protectors, perimeter scores, and three and D wings were, were the other uh, roles that made up that top five. The all-around studs were kind of in their own league, their own tier, but then the other four were grouped together fairly closely. So uh, there's some interchangeability there. Again, this is at a high level. This is not looking at the interactions yet. On defense, the most uh, additive in a positive way um, roles were the rolling rim protectors, rim protecting specialists, playmaking rim protectors. I don't know if you're, you're catching onto the theme. Uh, and then there's three and D wings and defensive pests. Those top three definitely were in their own tier of having impact. And the theme there with all three of those is that they're rim protectors. This is going back to the math that was introduced earlier around having more bigs in the lineup being useful. Uh, If you can defend the rim, you can do a whole lot. Especially when we know that individual defenders don't really impact opponent three-point shooting all that much. So if you can really go after those key rim protectors they can even make up for the poor perimeter defense, which we talked about a little earlier. And uh, we see that shine through in each of these different uh, ways that we're looking at the data. So we talked about, so we have offense and defense, which are the top roles. Overall, all around studs are in their own tier. Uh, slight negative on defense, but in no ways uh, really dragging down the offense all that much. Then we have playmaking room protectors in their own tier. Your Anthony Davises, your Giannis's. And then in the next tier, we have perimeter scores, rolling rim protectors, 3 and D wings, and stretch fours. So those are the types of players on your short list that you should be looking to add 
to throw into a lineup. Again, we haven't talked about fit yet, but just stacking them up, if you wanted to rank them, those would be the ones that you should be looking at adding. Definitely go for those all-around studs. Um, from this math, we can also see that rebounding specialists overall aren't really much more positively impactful than a G League call-up. Again, these were the guys who it was a lot of Ds and Fs, but they were good rebounding. In the tier right above the basement, we have defensive pests and shooting specialists. Again, these are guys who have one NBA skill and a lot of areas without really that, that average or better NBA skill. So this was the intro for some future discussions, namely lineup fit, and we're going to come back next time with some examples of this and really try to put uh, the illustration to the framework. I didn't want to just give you homework and move forward. I wanted to really add some comments and, and let some of the things that really stuck out to me from Todd's piece be shared with you. I still think you should definitely go read it because I did not read it verbatim. There is more insight in there that I did not share. Um, but I think we've laid the foundation to build off of this moving forward and talk about in real life on the court some of these examples that Todd introduces and then also taking this work and taking it a couple steps further and, and seeing how it plays with some of the other data that we have. So that's all for today. But we have some great stuff coming up around lineup fit. Um, Todd was just using 2013 to 2019 data for this. So we can pull from that 2019-2020 talent data um, to really ID some of those groupings that we would expect to perform well or poorly together and see how that matches up with you know, the eye test and some other stats. That is all for today. Uh, a clean around 30 minutes. Um, I have been Cranjus McBasketball. This is the B-Ball Index podcast. Make sure to go read that article by Todd. Uh, it's called Optimizing NBA Lineup Fit. It's on Nylon Calculus. It was posted three weeks ago. You can find Todd on Twitter at Crumpled Jumper. Uh, like, you know, crumple up a piece of paper, shoot that Kobe jump shot into the trash can. Uh, you can find Basketball Index at the underscore b-ball underscore index you can find me at tim underscore mba uh make sure to keep following along we got some good stuff coming up um we've had some excellent uh wmba work coming out from ben dull one of our writers uh around mock drafts because because we're getting close to the wmba draft which is still taking place um albeit without i believe media or players or anybody there I'd have to check in on, on that again, but I don't believe players are there and I don't think a crowd's there. So it, it might be a lot less exciting, but excitement is all relative now because there's nothing else to watch. So even an empty room, even an empty game would be better than nothing. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, definitely check out Ben's piece. Um, follow Todd, follow the site. You can find me on Twitter. Like I said, at Tim underscore MBA uh, and, and stay tuned because we've got more stuff coming up. We're going to try to do two podcasts a week moving forward. Um, I know we've uh, had some trouble with Jacob and I connecting, um, but hopefully we're, we're able to get some really great content pumped out moving forward, get some great guests on and break down the NBA and basketball as a whole using data in different ways that, that adds value and, and adds value to how you're able to argue or debate or discuss or, or just talk about the game, see the game, uh, enjoy the game and and if you're a coach or you're an agent or your player, you know, play the game or coach the game. Or, you know, it's all about getting guys in positions to succeed. So that's what we like to do here at B-Ball Index. Uh, 
Again, this is brought to you through the Blue Wire Podcasting Network, and our sponsor this week was betonline.ag. Have a good one.